I'm Heidi Bragg, and this is Life, Cancer, Etc. My goal with this podcast is to connect you with stories and resources that help you feel happier, more resilient, and less stressed, especially when you're going through hard times. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Kavita Jackson, who was referred to me by Ash Sivanantham, the lovely young woman in episode one's last episode. That sounds really redundant, but that's true. Okay, so Dr. Jackson, welcome. We're glad to have you. Thank you so much uh, for having me here today, Heidi. I'm so glad we were able to connect. And please, please call me Kavita uh, going forward. Okay, I thank you. I will. Okay, so tell us a little bit about yourself and your family, and then we'll launch into your story. How about that? Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, where to begin, right? So I was born and raised in Michigan. I'm a Midwesterner at heart, um, and I came to the East Coast, Philadelphia, for medical training, and I was there for about the last 12 years um, for medical school and um, residency in emergency medicine. Um, I also, in that time, was married to my college sweetheart. Um, We had two girls. We have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. You may hear them running around upstairs, um, so just beware. But I had just moved to D.C. with everybody um, at the end of 2019 and started my job as a brand new um, ER doctor in a community hospital in Maryland um, and got my you know, family settled down. It was just a lot of transition <laughs> and for me professionally as well, getting used to a new role. Um, and a, around Christmas time in 2019, I had this uh, pain in my right breast that just it just came like a stabbing sharp pain out of nowhere. And it just caused me to grab because it was just a reflexive response. And I felt a mess. Um, it was pretty large. It was enough that, you know, in the mirror, I could notice it from the side. There was a, a small, you know, a deformity, mm-hmm. um, something I say now that, you know, had I been looking for it, I definitely would have seen it sooner. Yeah, but you're busy with a job and children and moving yeah. and a house and a husband and yeah. You know, but hindsight, you know, you know where this conversation's going. So then in hindsight, you have all these questions of when, how, how long, and, you know, all these things. Um, so fast forward, I got my primary care doctor because I had, didn't have one. We had just moved. Um, I had to make appointments around my schedule, um, you know, and the workup started. And I was convinced it was a cyst. You know, I honestly wasn't that concerned or fibroadenoma. Those are the most common uh, things. You know, I was 32. I am Indian. No one that I know in my family has cancer. As far as I was concerned, Indian women don't get cancer, um, especially young ones. Um, And I was busy doing my doctor thing. So when I, you know, we had to do the biopsy and I thought it was all overkill, um, the results came in and I I was pretty shocked um, to see invasive ductal carcinoma in my pathology report. Um, And I knew what that meant. You know, I'm not a cancer doctor, but I know that means cancer and cancer is never good, right? Like there's never, you never hear cancer, (laughs) you know, no one's ever laughing about it really until you're maybe on this side of it, then you can kind of look back. But in the beginning, certainly not. And, you know, straight into denial, I thought the results were mixed up and all this kind of stuff. And then before I knew it, 
I was in the middle of it. I left work um, a few weeks after the pandemic started. Um, so I had some front like experience in the beginning of the pandemic, but I have been out of work since then. Um, I left for chemotherapy and surgery um, and all of that. Um, in the end, I am in remission now, um, and I'm hopefully getting back to work in the next month or two. Um, and that's kind of where we are. <laughs> that's I think it's interesting just how you hit it at different points. Like Ash is at a different point than you are. And then I have a friend who was just recently diagnosed within the last three or four months. She's on her fourth, nope, fourth or fifth round of chemo. Um, And just kind of moving, you know, you, it's one of those things you figure out as you go along. There is no way to prepare to have cancer, right? It's a very prepared. (laughs) <laughs> no, as much it's as just you, not possible. Mm-mm. I lost a sister to an anaplastic astrocytoma. This is like almost 30 years ago. I lost my dad to just kind of nonspecific invasive cancer. He was diagnosed and died 10 days later. Oh my just, goodness. it was so fast. Um, we saw later that the things we thought were injuries were actually you know, the cancer just getting further and further metastasized. And then I lost a dear friend to glioblastoma. And so it's interesting as you, as you see different people move through the process, the things you pick up. And then even with my diagnoses, it's like, it helped in some ways. And that's kind of why I do this podcast is so people realize here are some things you might want to think about. You're not alone. You don't get a cancer diagnosis. Well, dad's not a great example, but you don't get a cancer diagnosis and then immediately die. There's hope. There are ways to work around these things. So as you're looking at this, both both from the side of being a physician and the side of being a patient, are there things you wish you'd known ahead of time? Yeah, I thought a lot about this and I still think like, what could I have known or what could I have even told myself in that moment when I was diagnosed that would make me feel any differently than I did? And I think advice even coming from myself, knowing what the outcome would be, I don't think you could have told me anything. Anybody could have said or done anything differently that would have changed my response, my reaction, the next steps and, you know, how the next year of my life went really. You know, and I, I don't think that's negative necessarily, because mm-hmm. I think without having gone um, or having the experience in the way that I did, I wouldn't feel and be the way I am now. And I feel pretty good now and I'm pretty content and satisfied with myself, you know, as a person, um, as how, you know, the experience went. And yes, I'm in remission. So that's part of it. But um, just, it's, you know, I feel empowered. I feel strong. I'm happy. And I'm really grateful to be feeling those things. So, um, I'm really just riding that high and, you know, there's highs and there's lows. (laughs) They come and they go right now is a high for me. And, um, I'm kind of enjoying it right now. Well, and I think, I think acknowledging that, that the high, that the lows will be weighed out, not outweighed, but maybe balanced with highs is an important part of the process because cancer is not linear. We think of it as linear, but it's not. And um, I'm making this, this zigzag motion with my hands, but it's, it's a gradual <laughs> upward course for me. 
it was. Yeah. But, you know, but you could draw a regression line through the middle of it, but the up and down around it is just crazy ups and downs. But you have to look at it as, for me, I had to look at it as this is all part of the process of healing. Like today, it really sucks. But this is all part of the process of healing. And, and um, in my case, I have to be open to the fact that I'm not going to have certainty because I have, um, I have a urothelial cancer that, you know, lazy mm-hmm. cancer grows slow, but does come mm-hmm. back, whatever. That's another one um, that we track. And I have to have a surgery about every three or four months. And they go in and I call it rotorotoring it out, but they really go in and just look for it's to check and see if anything's regrown, to laser it if it has, to place a stem right. if necessary, those kinds of things. And I, the first few of those, I just felt very anxious about because I'm like, what if, what if I'm now? I'm like, what if he goes in, he rotorooters it out. I have a stent, which I hate. Mm-hmm. Pulled my own stent, PS, right as the thing started. I'm like, do you want to pull your own? I'm like, okay. Why not? <laughs> right. It's like just I don't have to go back to the hospital and things are COVID-y. So yeah. yeah. How are you? Doing? It, it, uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, I I totally agree. Lots of ups and downs. Um, and I, I think I hope at least a generally upward or better trajectory. But yeah, you know, it's it's a lot of this when you hear remission or you know, one part of treatment or is done, it's kind of I didn't realize I'm learning now as a survivor or cancer patient. I guess I'm forever a cancer patient. It's not ever gonna not be a part of me. But it's not done. (laughs) You know, I don't have cancer that I'm aware of right now or actively in treatment for, but it's still on my mind every day. It's a part of my life. Effects, whether they're side effects, you know, physical side effects or mental side effects, they're part of who I am now and they will be forever. And there continues to be ups and downs with those, (laughs) you know? Um, Yeah. I think, I don't know, uh, when, when I got diagnosed with the second cancer, the, um, the cardiac sarcoma, which was very unexpected and whatever else, my husband said, we need to get established with a therapist right now so that when we have needs, we go in for what we call tune-ups because things don't hit you when you think they're going to hit you necessarily. I don't know if you've felt the same way, but I've, there's this ebb and flow that's really hard because you expect that when something happens, you're going to have this reaction, then you'll work through it and whatever else. And for me, it like blindsides me and slaps me upside the head when I think I'm done. Again, you know, and you're like, I mean, as unexpected as the first one was, I can imagine like second and third time around, you know, it's like even more unexpected. You know, I just can't to grapple with that. You know, there's so much that, yeah. (laughs) so much that goes into that. But I think getting a therapist was like an excellent idea. You know, I think mindset is as much a part of healing and this process, I would say as the medicine, and I'm not saying mindset heals you over medicine. I think they go together. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's not one over the other, but a parallel process. And if you can, um, have both of those aspects working for you, I, you know, I think it's incredibly powerful to have them both in your favor, you know, right mindset or whatever that means for you, you know? Yeah. And I mean, um, in my sister's case, and she did not survive her cancer, 
and granted, this is almost three decades ago and things are very different now, but, but in her case, she came to this place of peace. And she said to me at one point, I said, when we found out she had done a stage one trial and we thought, okay, this could be it. Let's see. And then when, and she was feeling better, but when we got the results of her scans, the cancer was everywhere. And so we had this conversation. This was in July. She died in December. And I said, I don't know what to do. I don't know whether to talk to you about this or not talk to you about this, or I, I don't, I don't know how to handle this. And she said, it was hard for her to speak then, but she said, sometimes I think it's easier being the one who's sick. And I thought that was a really interesting perspective, but then I have felt that I don't, I, that's why I'm asking, what's your perspective on that? I was, I was actually going to say, it's so interesting because you've been in the, um, you know, whether just, you know, whether what kind of care you may or may not have been providing her, but as a supporter and ally, you know, of someone with cancer to being the person with cancer. That is so interesting. I have not heard anybody say that before, but I kind of agree. There were, there were times that I think that's totally applicable. Like you see the people, around you kind of <laughs> suffering because you're suffering and that made me feel worse. Yep. But it, but it was out of a place of like love and caring and like, you know, I thought, oh, wow, this, this sucks. Like, I don't want people to feel like that because of, you know, of what's happening to me. And I kept it hidden literally, you know, as long as I possibly <laughs> could until I was at some point I have to tell them. Um, and I, I agree because a lot of times when I, you know, thought about my experiences, I was just like, well, you know, my husband, you know, trying to, trying to be in his shoes, trying to be in my parents' shoes, trying to, all the people around me trying to be in their shoes and, you know, the, how can we help? Like, we're here for you. And just asking me, you know, what to do, what to say. And it probably didn't help that I said, you know, there's nothing right now, but I did it as a it's okay. Like what you're doing is what I need. Like you're right. here. Right. And I know you're here. And for me, that that's what I needed from the interaction. You don't have to buy me anything. You don't have to give me anything. You don't have to make me anything. Um, but to, I think to let those supporters or allies or providers that want so much to help and don't know how to, and feel so powerless and helpless to let them know that what they're doing is enough for you if it is or to guide them you know to to give them that reassurance that I see you I see what you're doing I appreciate all the things that you're doing um and it means something to me and you know I know it's uncomfortable I wish you could fix this too but you can't and I'm okay with that with myself you know I have to be okay with that and I need you to be okay with that I'm okay with that in you um, <laughs> you know, I think that's um, actually really profound because I don't think, I wish I would have thought that to say, I want you to know that what you're doing, just being here, just thinking of me, I had people thinking me, people of every possible religion, praying for me and those who are atheist or agnostic, lighting candles yeah. and sending good thoughts and doing meditations yeah. and whatever. You feel that groundswell of just love and support and positive energy or whatever you want to call that. That was a very visceral thing for me. And, and I, I think we, as, as the patient need to, I think it's just really helpful to name it for them. It's like, what you're doing is exactly what I need right now. Mm -hmm. You're okay. Yeah. 
And I know yeah. if I need something else and ask you, you'll be there for that. And, and I know yes. that I can ask you for that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's right. That's what you're the first person who said that. And I think <laughs> that's really profound. Thank you. That's a really great insight. Yeah. It, it, it kind of just came out as we were talking, but I mean, I think it, there was a thought in there somewhere um, and something you said really, really brought that out, but it's, you know, so much their experience as it is ours. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you don't owe anybody anything. It's your body, it's your treatment, it's your mind and all of that. But to consider that about the people around you who you care about and that care about you, you know, to give them I view it as like, Yeah, I view it as like a, um, like a fisherman's net where there are all these little knots you know, and all these ties to all these people, and you may be the part of the, the part of the net that's got a hole in it or whatever right now, but you're connected to all these other people that'll help bear that weight, mm -hmm. even if you're a little broken right now. And, and that, I don't know, feeling that love and support mm -hmm. is just amazing. I, someone, my, um, so my dad died and a few years later, my mom remarried and Chuck's, mm -hmm. he's great, great guy. It's going to be his 75th birthday soon. And this will air mm -hmm. after. But hey, Chuck, happy 75th birthday. Um, happy birthday. See, Kavita says happy birthday too. He <laughs> brought me 250 cranes that he and my mom and his, his daughter and daughter-in-law or daughter and granddaughter, I think, had folded. And they said, this is to get you started. You want to get a thousand cranes. And then somebody makes a little fish, origami fish, and you have this wish. So I, I'll send you a picture later and I'll post Please it. Do. It's gorgeous. And we got them from all over. And then my daughter and I arranged them kind of in a color gradient. And they're in this gigantic yeah. frame on our wall. And getting those in the mail and the little notes from people were just, it was a shot in the arm that I needed. You know? I love that idea. That is it's beautiful. That's the, that's the like thoughtful sort of, you know, thing that I'm like, I wish I was that creative to think about that. But <laughs> you have to, you have to share that idea if you haven't already, because that is. That's the kind of stuff that's the, you know, I couldn't describe to somebody, but if somebody made that gesture, it's like, I would take that over some of the more, I guess, physically tangible, you know, like there's just this mm -hmm. meaning that comes from that yeah. sort of a gesture that you can't put in a box. So then, it, okay, I need to, I'll, <laughs> I'll post that picture and I'll send you some cranes. I've got a few left. I will send them to you, Kavita. Just DM me your address and I'll send them to you. We'll tell um, so then I go to Moffat. I'm at Moffat Cancer Center in Tampa. Mm -hmm. I go to Moffat and they have all these different art displays. Well, they changed it up. And on the wall, they have the crane and they tell the story of how you get a thousand and you make a wish. Mm -hmm. And this is the wish for healing. And it just, the timing on it was really interesting. But I, I like what you said about how that's, that's something that's, I was thinking when you were talking about it being something tangible people can do, but there's low barrier to entry. It's all mm -hmm. the love and concern and whatever else. Um, right. I got him from a friend of mine has eight or nine children and they've lived all over the world. And her kids did them out of gum wrappers, Taco Bell, taco wrappers. Oh. I mean, it was all these really cool things, but yeah, it was a way of people kind of weaving our story into their life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was amazing. Yeah. I love what you said about that though, about letting people know that what they're doing is exactly what you need. Cause I think that's important. And it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. That was really profound. Okay. Um, 
okay, so you there isn't anything necessarily that you would do differently if you had to do it again. But what's your biggest takeaway thus far through this process? Yeah, like I have advice. I don't think I would have taken it, but I I had advice for myself or, you know, I, I really think back to when I was first diagnosed because that was the most like that was the most earth shattering part of the whole thing, you know, just I think the beginning um, and all the uncertainty and you just don't know, like my mind was, you know, your mind just goes to all sorts of places. Um, So I think back to that time and what I think is that what I ended up doing, which I think worked for me is whether I wanted to or not, kind of just go on for that roller coaster of emotions and feelings and just hang on, but yeah. go, you know, I hung yeah. on, but I let the thing go, you know, the cart or whatever you want to say, and just held on for dear life, the good now more good than bad, but you know, the full range of emotions experienced and allowed space for the full experience. And it was not pleasant. And it's not going to be pleasant. <laughs> no. Right. Not, it, it doesn't mean it's easy. It's not pleasant. It's not nice. But allowing the space for that and recognizing that and saying, you know, that's truly OK. So not just it's not OK. I mean, it's OK to not be OK, but I feel this addressing the fears, acknowledging the fears and really some of my deepest, darkest thoughts and giving myself the time to think through. Um I think it allows you to, yeah, just through acknowledging them, it's like you understand yourself, you can kind of, kind of pepped myself up of like, okay, well, if that's the worst you're worried about, then these are some things we can do to um, address that for yourself. Is it going to fix the problem? Is it going to make the cancer go away? No. But in the meantime, these are some things we can do. Am I going to go into this like a wimp, um, feeling self-degradate, you know, degraded and hating myself? And where is that going to get me really? Can I still be upset and think about, you know, some really negative thoughts and what the could be of cancer? Sure. Yeah, Yeah. Because that's part of it. For me, I'm not going to ignore it because I think that just raises my anxiety about the whole issue, you know? That's so true. <laughs> um, it was. It made me anxious to kind of think about it. But once I got going and realized like, oh, that's the worst of what could happen, right? Like, what's the worst thing? You know, for me, my mind went to death and not to make this dark, but the worst thing I thought, you know, no, uh, I, of all this stuff. Fine. Real is yeah, fine, and that is a very is, real thing. Yeah, is that I could die. So what does that mean? Okay, this is what would happen to me. I would not be here. So I thought, you know, what would I be concerned about? I'd be worried about my family. I would think about my husband. I would think about my daughters. i think about my parents. What would I say to them? What are some things I would want to leave behind? What are some decisions and things about that that I should consider? And I kind of thought through like I said, it wasn't fun, but I got to an understanding of like, okay, this is how I could approach this um, and come to, you know, some peace with this. Because if I'm going, yeah, I'll go kicking and screaming, but I'm not going to go crying, hiding in some, you know, hole somewhere. Yeah. And that's not how I'm going to leave. 
I made that decision. And then you start to build upon that and move forward. I think more than one person has told me this, that um, stubbornness is what gets us through. And me, I'm, I, I'm just like, I've told them, I've told, like, I love my people at Moffitt because they're just bad. Like, look, I'm not planning on going anywhere anytime soon. So you guys are brilliant people. I know you'll mm-hmm. figure it out. So you figure yep. it out. Yeah. Let's consult and talk, but I'm not planning yeah. on going anywhere. So I love it. So what I, I'm laughing, I'm going to get back to, I like, I just re- reacted so much to that about your stubbornness, but I love that. Tell everybody you feel comfortable telling, you know, that is advocating for yourself and what you believe you tell other people, they will get on board because it's you are the patient and you dictate, you know, kind of what happens to you and what you do or do not experience. But I laugh about the stubbornness because at some point, I think it was when I was graduating from residency um, and I got my attending position as my dream job and moving to my dream city and all this kind of stuff. My cousin, who's like my sister to me, basically um, told me that she told me, said my stubbornness was my best and my worst quality. (laughs) And you're like, darn straight. And this is why. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm a pain in the ass to deal with, excuse me, pain in the butt to deal with um, in certain situations. But that's what made me who I am and where I am right now. So if there's a club for that, I think we could start the <laughs> yeah. founding chapter. Yeah. It, 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 you're, you're a much more evolved person than I am, I think, in a lot of ways, because you sounds like you came <laughs> came willingly into those conversations about about dying and about what would happen and about making arrangements and I had a little bit of a hard sorry I had a little hard time with that because my my family members and dear friends the ones who are closest to me not all the ones I've known because I don't want to put that out there but most the ones who are closest to me did not make it through cancer now I have tons of friends who have that's totally different. I have tons of friends. And I, I was amazed when I got diagnosed, how many people came out of the woodwork saying, I had cancer. I had cancer 20 years ago. I had cancer 15 years ago. People you had no idea about. And so my sample guys, my end got significantly larger as I was honest about the fact that I was struggling with this. But um, those convers- those first conversations with my husband about um, what would happen? And we, I, I think I mentioned this in another podcast. We had a friend who does funeral arrangements for people who came over and we had a conversation with him while both of our youngest children were at camp. So we could have a very frank conversation and just doing that was super, super, super hard. But I think you're right that it demystified it to the point that it became, it became something on a checklist, not this big, bad, ephemeral sort of thing I'm trying to fight, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, you're probably more evolved because you actually had that conversation with somebody else. These were all conversations I had with myself. You know, I I don't know. I think I maybe just very recently with my husband maybe had mentioned something briefly that I, you know, had some thoughts about, you know, death and dying and like, what does that mean and all that kind of stuff? What would I do? But beyond that, I still didn't um, touch too much. And it's funny you talk about your end because when I first met with my oncologist, you know, and we were talking about chemotherapy and I just broke down, I lost it, <laughs> you know, and she said, what is your greatest fear? What are you most worried about? And I said, yeah, right. What is it? So we, you know, I mentioned death and whatnot, but in that moment, I, my worst, my concern was, 
not only do I know cancer is not bad, but as a physician, my doctor brain, right, what I know about cancer, more importantly, what I've seen about cancer is the worst of the worst. Right. Right. And obviously, you know, I didn't totally didn't realize my own bias, but she pointed out like, yeah, you work in the ER. You see the worst of the worst. Yeah. The majority of those, you know, breast cancer specific. So she said, you know, the majority of those women are treated as an outpatient and you don't see them. So you don't know about the majority who do um, very well with their treatments and don't require your services. I don't want to have to ever require my or my colleagues services. Um, And I thought, yeah, you know, yeah, that really puts things into perspective. But you have to allow yourself to expose your vulnerabilities in a way. And I appreciated the safe space that I had with her really just within minutes of meeting her. I was pouring out my, um, you know, darkest and some of my deep concerns to her and but to be able to share it with somebody so you know you're right actually I didn't talk to my husband it was my oncologist who um you know you just have that space and it felt right so we talked about it but I felt so much better um somebody else knew what I was thinking and their perspective for me was like oh duh that was so simple um you totally changed my perspective (laughs) But you wouldn't have known it, like you said, if you hadn't been willing to open up in a very painful way. Yes. Yeah. But then what was so bad? No, no, not at all. I'm just saying what was so bad after I left that conversation feeling better? I think it's anything that we are afraid of. Once we name it, we, I do, but my anticipation is always so much worse than the reality. So true. I was actually telling um, somebody through Instagram recently, just talking about advocacy, right? That's something that comes up a lot. And I think a lot about with my experience, because I think as a healthcare professional, um, I feel pretty comfortably versed in advocacy. I advocate for my patients daily um, and, you know, being able to communicate with on a medical level, I guess, with other physicians who end up being your colleagues, you know, you can... um, efficiently communicate some things. And sometimes I think that's what advocacy comes down to is the clear communication. So I was encouraging somebody that, you know, this is your concern. It's not about how stupid it might sound to you. It's not about being judged because that's not what our job is as providers. It's about making it known, right? Like clearly Once your doctor is aware, they are tuned in and they can address it. I'm not saying they can, you know, snap their fingers and fix the problem. But But for instance, something you're not aware of that you're not aware of. And you don't want them to make their own assumptions about that you're thinking this, this and that and things are going one way and you really feel a different way. Like they they're on you guys are on the same team for yourself and you have to clue your expert, you know, consultant in so they can better provide for you. Um, so pain with my mastectomy, I, I'm like a pain, well, you know, you have cancer and your perspective on pain changes, but pain was my biggest concern going in, you know, with my port, with my mastectomy and all this kind of stuff. So I said to my surgeon, who is this badass lady who has had her own double mastectomy and like a true surgeon, she's just a very strong person. 
Yeah. And I thought, oh my gosh, here I am, the ER doctor patient. I'm going to tell my surgeon that I'm scared about pain and she's going to say boo-hoo and <laughs> she's going to laugh at me. I don't know why I thought, but, you know, prepare for the worst, whatever. I told her and her response was completely different. You know, it was a very gentle, I completely understand. When I had my um, underwent my double mastectomy, Da, 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 da. You know, she told me about her experience, the medications, and that where I was had an excellent pain management team. So she said, I'm going to make sure they are looped in. They will come talk to you before the procedure. And, you know, she she took some additional measures that put me way more at ease when I was so scared. I was, you know, contemplating not going through with something that yeah. I otherwise wanted to. So that's yeah, I like I like that. You've got to make and I like the way you said consultant because I mean, I view it as that. It's like these are consultants. It's my body. It's my choice for what I want to do as far as treatment or not treatment. But I've got these really brilliant consultants around me who can give me their best their best educated guess, their best yeah. assumption, not even assumption, but their their best course of action and I can choose to take advantage of it or not. But they can't help me if I don't talk to them. Correct. Get get the, get your I don't want to say money's worth, but get your experience, your patient's experience worth of experience. I don't know what yeah. to call it, but you know, and when you have questions, ask them, please, mm -hmm. please, please. I've had, you know, I've been at the end of an ER, you know, a patient encounter where I have just talked for what feels like a long time to summarize some important points. And I try to do a teach back real quick of, you know, so what are you going to do next when you leave? And the patient goes, uh, uh, you know, I realize at that point I have failed in communicating something that I think is really important for my patient to understand from me, whether that is, you know, please call this person once you leave from here, or if you leave the ER and this happens, I need you to come back immediately. So if they leave and they haven't understood anything I said, what is the point of that whole interaction? Like I have neither helped them. I mean, it's not about helping myself, but the point is about helping them and I have not helped them. So I really appreciate no when pressure. people ask me. There is patient responsibility too, but I, I think yeah. the piece of that is I've learned to ask, okay, so what are our next steps? Yeah. And I, on my phone, all throughout the month or two between appointments, I, I just make notes so that it's like, doctor, this, this is what we're going to talk about so that I can ask my questions. And I've been keeping track of them I love throughout. That. I love that being prepared or just whatever the question is, write it down. So when you are in front of that doctor for the, you know, six minutes you might have because of the way the TikTok um, nature yeah. of healthcare right now, you can ask them. So you don't leave and then you go, oh, shoot, you know, I forgot that thing. And when am I going to see them again? It's going to be a couple weeks and this, this and that. So anytime people ask me questions, I always, always appreciate. I, I feel very non-judgmental about it because it makes me feel like there's something I could do better in my communication. And so some people are visual like myself, so I'll draw things out. Some people, you know, prefer things in their phone. So I will type into their phone. They may want me to call a family member and give me permission to explain something to them. And I will happily do so. You're going to be great at this. You probably already are. Well, you, I mean, you'll get to work more and show that. Um, yeah. 
Let's see. Okay. So the last couple of questions are fun things. First of all, Mm -hmm. you're wonderful. Thank you so much for doing this. I just, your perspective is unique and I think it's important because you've seen both sides of the coin. Yeah. Thank you. It's, you know, it's one of those, I, I didn't choose to be here, but here I am. And, you know, somewhere I'd say, I, I, I know I've written this somewhere that I could never thank cancer or be, I could never be thankful for cancer, but there are some things I had cancer to thank in a way, you know, there are yeah. some things that I'm grateful for in this experience, but, you know, for nobody to ever confuse that with, I would pick this path again if I had a choice. No, but I think if we, we, I talked about this with somebody, maybe Ash, I don't choose those experiences, but if we choose to, there's value in them, you know? Yes. Yes. If we find it. Okay. So fun things, uh, Mm -hmm. bucket list items. What are some things on your bucket list? So funny. I, (laughs) I have never kept a bucket list because it gave me so much anxiety for things to make the cut or not, you know, but I have thought about, I think I would really like to get back to traveling. And I think that's a natural thing that makes people's bucket list. I did a lot when I was younger and then, you know, when I was training and now I'm a mom, it's well, and then plus COVID and cancer, I haven't, you know, been anywhere kind of cool in a while. I um, would love to tour Europe a little bit more um, to go see Germany. I um, almost minored in German um, in undergrad. So I'd love to see Berlin, um, see Geneva, London. um, And I've always wanted to see the Northern Lights. um, Yeah. And like a whale watching maybe boat experience. Very cool. Oh, awesome. You can do those in Baja and in Oregon. Oh, so oh okay. We're See, moving I didn't even Oregon. know. We're moving back to Oregon this summer. Oh, wow. And I'm telling you, if you ever wanted to come out and it's not covid you have a place to stay. Yay! <laughs> and March is when they come up. They come back up from... Uh, Mexico. And so they do the count in March. So it's a great time to see them. Okay. Uh, the last thing, your favorite place or places to be. This is easy. It's honestly, wherever my family is, where my girls are, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I can be in the ER doing my thing and, (laughs) you know, but you know, home is where the girls are. Home is where the heart is, um, wherever they are. They're always in my mind. Yeah, me too. Me too. Home does it. Home is home for me is people much more than place. Yeah, you know that's. I thought to you know I was like I can't think of a place. It's really yeah. It's it's the people. Yeah, I love that. Kavita, you're a treasure. Seriously, thank you so much for doing this and being willing. And I hope you don't mind if I keep up with you a little bit on Instagram from now on. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Um, I am so grateful to be here. And I I think this was a really beautiful conversation. I'm so glad we um, were able to do this. And thank you so much for inviting me uh, to be on with you. This has been great. Great. Okay, so good luck getting back into the work thing and stay safe from COVID. And um, we'll talk soon. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I'm so impressed with Dr. Jackson, with her perspective, and with how she's dealt with everything she's had to go through this past year. As you move around the world every day, please find a way to do something nice for somebody else, and then look for the good, count your blessings, and make it a really great week. 
Thanks for listening.